Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. The title of the message today is Amazing Grace. John Newton was the son of a sea captain. In his early years, he received rigid and regular spiritual training. By the age of 11, he was sailing the seas with his father, the captain. At one point in his life, in his early life, he deserted the ship that he was sailing on, and he found himself, he wound up in prison. After a while, he was released from prison, and he was made a crew member on another ship. This was a slave trading vessel, and he lived a very hard and godless life. His appearance and his conduct became so depraved that he actually hid himself from people. He hid from strangers. And by his own admission, his inner man was in worse condition than his outer appearance. But something happened on March the 10th, 1748. There was a violent storm at sea, and John Newton found himself hiding in the bottom of the ship, trying to stay away from, uh, from the violence of the storm. And while in the bottom of the ship, he remembered the story of Jonah that he had heard while he was a child and when he received that, that spiritual training. And while he was there, <clears throat> hiding in the bottom of the ship, he called on the Lord to save him from his sins. And on that March the 10th, 1748, John Newton was wonderfully and gloriously saved. Several years later, after having taken a new path of life and living a transformed life, he recalled the moment that he was saved in the hull of that ship. And looking at his life then and what his life had become, he wrote these words, amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. <clears throat> Twas blind, but now I see. This morning, I want to speak to you about God's amazing grace. And there's nothing more important in any of our lives than the grace of God. And it is indeed <clears throat> amazing. We begin with our text, but there are other verses that I want us to see as well. The text is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. In the King James Version, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can see what it is in the ESV or the English Standard Version. In Acts 15 and verse 11 The Bible says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. In Romans 3 and verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 11, 6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. This morning, I want to give you some reasons that grace 
is amazing. And the first reason is very simple and plain. By definition, grace, God's grace is amazing. God's grace is amazing because of what it is. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 2.7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Most of you, many of you, some of you know that the definition of grace is God's unmerited favor. That's what grace is. When someone shows grace, they are showing favor that is unmerited. Now, in regard to God's favor, here's what that means. God is good to us, even though we do not deserve God's goodness. If you ever make a plea for God's goodness and say, well, if anyone makes it precious, Lord, surely I will. Or I know that I've tried to live the best that I can, and and so I know that God will be good to me. That has nothing to do with why God is good to you or God is good to me. God is good to us because of his grace. Not only do we do not deserve God's grace, it is impossible for us to earn favor with God. There is nothing that any of us, that not me, not you, not anyone who's ever lived, it is not possible for any of us to do anything to earn favor with God. Now, we earn favor with other people. We are in favor with family because they are family. This past week, Jan and I went to the happiest place on earth, they say, with the happiest little girl on earth who turned three years old on Tuesday, and that is our little granddaughter, Emerson. Now, Emerson has favor in our eyes. Now, the truth is that Emerson, while she is sweet and absolutely adorable and cute as a button, I mean, people should be beating down the door to put her on kid commercials. She is so adorable. She's somewhat of a diva. She has become a little diva. And she's just this side of walking around, snapping her fingers back and forth. But that doesn't matter. She has favor with us. She is our family. She is our granddaughter. She has favor. We are in the favor of our friends because we are friends and we share things in common. You have some friends who when you see them, they immediately have your favor because you have established a a sense of favor toward one another. We earn favor at work by what we do. My sons, have discussed something called the halo effect. And let me just say this to you. If you are a person that is, <clears throat> that is getting ready to go to a new job or you're, uh, you're at a new job, <clears throat> here's the best thing that you can do. You can be the absolute most dynamic and effective person on that job. And if you'll do so for the first six months of that job, you will develop around you a halo. And everybody... will look at you from that point forward through that halo effect that you develop the first six months on that job. 
the opposite is true as well. If you develop a, if you, you have a bad reputation or a, a poor work ethic during that first six months, it's going to be very hard for you to overcome that. <clears throat> so we earn favor at work by, by what we do. We earn favor with our friends and we earn favor at work and <clears throat> we earn favor at school and we earn favor in our families. How can we earn favor with God? What do we hold in common with God? Other than being made in the image of God, we hold nothing in common with God. If you entered into a conversation with God today and and you were trying to carry on a conversation and he were to make some statement, and you say, oh yes, you know, that... I remember when that kind of thing happened to me and I was able to do exactly what you did. That wouldn't fly because we have no favor that we can earn with God. We have nothing in common. What is in our lives or our character or our nature that can help us earn favor with God? The answer to that is nothing. We are the antithesis of God. Not saying that you're bad people or I'm bad people. We're all good people by our measure. But by the measure of God, we are the antithesis of God. We have nothing in common with Him. He is holy, and we are ruled by unholiness. We are ruled by our flesh. He is sinless, and we are sinful by birth and by choice. He is spotless, and we are spotted by by sin. How can people who are born in sin and choose sin and live sinful lives possibly find any common ground with God? How could we possibly earn the favor of God? And the answer is this, we cannot earn the favor of God. God's favor is at a level and at a place where you can never earn it. You can never come to the place where you say, I know if I do this, God is going to bless me. Could I tell you this? God blesses you in spite of yourself. God does not bless any of us because of ourselves. He blesses us in spite of ourselves. If we cannot earn the favor in God, uh, of God, then can we have the favor of God? Well, the answer to that is yes. We can have favor with God, but it is not for sale, and it cannot be earned, and it cannot be deserved. God's favor is God's grace, and that is amazing. By definition, the grace of God is amazing. So when John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton understood something that we ought to really understand, and that is by definition, the grace of God is amazing. And by observation, the grace of God is amazing. Something said of Jesus as a child tells us something about God's uh, grace, and we'll see that in just a moment. I, I jumped ahead. God's grace is amazing because of what it does. God's grace is unlimited. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, do you know what he's saying there? He's saying, I can do things because of God's grace. I can live for God because of God's grace. Now let me give you what I started to give you. The observation of God's grace at work. Here's one. God's grace protects little children. 
again, something said of Jesus as a child tells us about God's grace and care for children. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 40, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is about the early childhood of God, but it tells us something more, or the early childhood of Jesus, but it tells us something more than uh, about his early childhood. We all know that children get sick, and sometimes with life-threatening diseases, but the everyday life of a child is a testament to the grace of God. Have you ever considered what your children do that you don't do, and you don't do because you know it's just horrible and it could kill you? For instance, children, little kids will put their hands into anything. They will stick their hands anywhere. Years ago, when we lived in, in Tennessee and my my sons were very young, and, and Nathan was about 12 years old, maybe, yeah, about 12, I guess. No, he, he was probably 11, 10 or 11. We lived by a creek, and that creek had some, in, in Tennessee, you have, there are rocks in Tennessee. If, if you get mad at somebody and want to throw a rock at them, you have to go to North Georgia before you can find one. But in Tennessee, they're readily available. And they have ledge rocks that will hang out over the edge of a, of a creek, and we went down there, and there was a, a ledge rock that was hanging out into the creek. And as, as I was driving out one day, I looked, and Nathan was down in the creek on his, on his hands and knees. And he had his hands up under that rock. And I said, Nathan, what are you doing? He said, I'm feeling for fish, Dad. Now, Why would none of us reach up under a rock? Because we know that there's something else that's under the rock. His son Bradford is exactly like him. Bradford will pick up anything. Kids will stick their hands into anything. Here's another thing. They'll not only stick their hands into anything, but then they'll put their hands back into their mouths. It doesn't matter how disgusting it is. They put their hands into something, and then they think, I want to taste that. And they put their hands back in their mouths. Why don't children die from that? We would die from that. Why don't they die from that? Well, it has to be God's grace. They eat anything that they can put into their mouths. Children run at full speed, even though they cannot control themselves and their balance is not good and they have no stopping power, but they will run at full speed. We don't do that. What keeps children alive? God's grace keeps children alive. Now, not only does God's grace keep them in this life, it carries them to the next life. Occasionally, God will allow a child to die. Some of you have experienced that. You've experienced the death of a young uh, child, maybe an infant. Some have experienced the the death of a child. Uh, Some of you ladies have experienced the death of a child before the child is born inside of you. And if indeed life is uh, is at conception, then when that child died, that child uh, went somewhere. Jan and I had that experience before any of our sons were born. There was a child that we were expecting that she was not able to carry to term. 
So occasionally, uh, children do die. Where do innocent children go when they die? Well, this is what's amazing about God's grace. God's grace carries them into the presence of God. You say, now, preacher, how do you know that? Is there anywhere in the Bible that that is said? Absolutely. 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. David had uh, an infant son who had died, and David had fasted and prayed for that child, and the child died. And then this happened. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He, went, he then went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. God had given David an understanding of where those innocent children go when they die. Even in the times of the Old Testament, David knew the grace of God, and he was confident in the grace of God and that the grace of God would care for his child. So God's grace is amazing because of what it does. It protects little children and saves lost sinners. Acts 15, 11, and we believe that we shall be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Now, we read this earlier. No one gets to heaven without receiving the gift of God's grace. In fact, when we think of the grace of God, salvation is about the only thing we really think of. But the grace of God is not only in salvation, it's in other things as well as we see. There are those religions that offer other ways to go to heaven. But Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And what he is saying is that God's grace is the only route to heaven. That means there's no provision for good works. There's none. And and the idea of doing enough good things to go to heaven has no biblical basis whatsoever. And quite honestly, is kind of presumptuous to think that somehow or another, we, the created being, who live in sin and choose sin, that somehow or another, we can come to a place where that we, where that we can earn the favor of God. We can earn a right into heaven. I remember many, many years ago, before Jan and I came here, <clears throat> we were in, in, actually in Hawaii with our, our family, and we were uh, at a, a place and, and uh, I'm, I have not often been a pool guy. Occasionally I will go to a pool with, with the children or something, but I'm, I'm not a pool guy. But I was at the, the pool, and, and uh, there was a guy that began to talk to me, and, and quite honestly, I'm, I'll just tell you that he was Mormon. Very, very nice man. And I asked him, I said, what is it that caused you to be drawn toward Mormonism? He said, I like the fact that Mormonism gives you something you can do to earn your way to heaven. He said, I like that. 
I like to having some kind of control as to how I can get to heaven. And, and I, I never shall uh, forget that. There are a lot of people, and it's not just Mormons, a lot of people. There are a lot of Baptists that are trying to get to heaven by earning their way there. And I, I don't, I, I'm not trying to get you lost and saved again, but some of you may be that way. Some of you may, may say, you know what, I re- if I ask you, when were you saved? And you say, well, I was baptized when I was so-and-so. We talked about that last week. Baptism doesn't save you. If I said, now, <clears throat> what is your hope for going to heaven? Well, I've, I've lived a good life, and, and uh, you know, I've been coming to this church here for a long time, and, and I just feel like that when I die, I'm going to heaven. That cannot get you to heaven. If North Florida Baptist Church could get you to heaven, then, then quite honestly, this place would be full all the time, whether the pastor is transitioning or not. It'd be full all the time because people say, hey, I got to go to heaven. I got to get to heaven. Sometimes I wish that we had a work salvation. There have been times in my life and ministry as a Baptist that I wish there was a purgatory. There were t- there, there, I'd like to threaten people with purgatory, <clears throat> but I, I can't do that because there's no such thing. There's no such thing as a a purgatory. It is not goodness that gets us to heaven. It is Godness. It is the presence of God in our life. And having God in our lives is only possible through the grace of God. No other way. By faith, receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have grace with or the grace of God. It's an amazing thing, these qualities of God's grace. It provides for children. It saves souls. Here's the other thing. It empowers believers. 2 Timothy 2.1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, there are a lot of people, who, a lot of people who know the gospel, believe the gospel, believe with all of their hearts that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, but they will not take the step of faith to be saved. And here's why they won't, what they want is because they say something like this, I'm afraid I can't live it. I'm just afraid that I cannot live it. Living the Christian life is not something that we earn or develop. It's not something you, 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 say, you, you say, boy, I'll tell you what, I'm going to really learn to live this Christian life, and I'm going to get myself, I'm saved, but I'm going to get myself in even a better position with God. Now, we should read our Bibles, and we should pray, and, and we should walk the, the Christian walk to the best of our ability, but I will tell you this, that none of that is possible apart from the grace of God. I'm able to live for him because Jesus Christ lives through me. That's the grace of God. If you say, if I ask you, are you living for Jesus Christ? Here should be your answer. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we could all come to that, 
there would be no sense of celebrity in the Christian world. There would be no sense of big eyes and little U's in the, the Christian world. We would all understand that we are part of, the recipients of, the grace of God. Next Sunday, I'm going to speak to you about calling your next pastor. And one of the things that I'm going to help you to understand is that there is something that I call the pit of rapid rise. And there are a lot of people and a lot of preachers out there who have reached positions of, quite honestly, notoriety, and they have forgotten that it's only the grace of God that put them there. A good friend of mine many years ago was elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I've had several friends who have been president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm very thankful for that because they, they are interesting people. <clears throat> but this friend had been elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I went to a, a reception that, that was made for him after he had been elected. Um, and I was standing at a table, a reception table, and I was speaking to his wife. And I said to her concerning her husband, I said, I really love that your husband is a demonstration of the grace of God. And she, she kind of, and, and I wasn't being unkind or, or even catty, but she kind of looked at me and I said, Here, look, you and I both know, and, and I, I'm, I'm not going to call his name. Some of you know who I'm talking about. I said, you and I both know that God just took his finger one day and just touched your husband. I called him by name. God just touched him. And when God touched him, something happened in his life, and the grace of God allowed him to have influence that he would never have had otherwise. One of the things that I'm, 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 I'm really struggling with the last message that I bring, and I believe the last message that I bring to you on on May the 21st is going to be something of a testimony message. And, and what I really believe I want to do is share with you some key verses that, that I think have helped me in the ministry and helped me. This, and when, I, when I'm no longer the pastor of this church, it's not the end of 25 years. It's the end of 42 years for me because I've been a pastor since 1975. I've been a pastor for a very long time. And, and there is something that I know from the book of Proverbs. I can't give you the, the, uh, the chapter and verse right now. But here's what it says. A man's gift brings him before. A man's gift makes a way for him. A man's gift brings him before great men. Now here's what that means. That means that God gifts us. He gives us things that we would not otherwise have had. And it's what God has given us that brings us before the people that we have crossed paths with in our lives. When, when I have known in my lifetime people who have tried to take personal credit for their own spiritual success. And there is no personal credit for spiritual success. It's not possible that you can take credit for spiritual success. 
if you have spiritual success to any degree, and could I go ahead and say this? If you have success in any area to any degree, it's only by the grace of God. And even those who do not know the grace of God as their salvation experience the grace of God as God touches them and gives them opportunity they would not otherwise have. There is no such thing as a self-made man. It doesn't happen like that. My father, sixth grade education. That's all he had. My dad got saved as a, um, a farmer. Literally, he was plowing behind a mule. And God's convicting power came on my dad. And my dad laid that plow down. And he harnessed that mule. And he went over and he knelt down at a tree stump and he prayed and asked Jesus Christ to be his Savior. And God saved him at that tree stump one day when he stepped out from behind a mule. And then God called him to preach. And when God called him to preach, he began to prepare. My father could not read very well and he could not he his his English was horrific his grammar was horrific and so he asked his daughters who were in school my sister Jean and my sister Tawanda uh, my sister Margie he said I'm going to preach but I don't know how to use the right words Will you listen and write down when I say something wrong and then tell me later so I can fix it and get better? And my father went on and pastored several churches and became, if you will, in his circle of Baptist, well-known and a highly respected leader and, and quite honestly, almost to the point of being worshipped by some people. And to this very day, there are people who, when you mention the, the name F.L. Ray, is what my dad went by, when you mention the name F.L. Ray, they have some sense of holy grail that follows, uh, falls on them. And none of that, none of that is deserved by my father. Because it was the grace of God that got him from out behind that mule. It was the grace of God that saved him. It was the grace of God that allowed a sixth grade student to be able to someday rise up and do other things that people would find noteworthy. But it was not him. It was the grace of God. And when he died, God's grace lived on. It's the grace of God that gives us the power to serve. And if we don't understand and appreciate that, it frustrates our purposes. Have you ever seen a bird attacking its own reflection in a window? Usually it's a male bird. And, and they're trying to protect their territory from other male birds of the same species. And he will repeatedly attack his own image until he becomes disoriented or he kills himself. Trying to live for Christ and not acknowledging or allowing Christ is living through us is like beating our heads against the glass. All of God's grace is available to us, empowering us to live for Him. God's grace is amazing. By observation, you can see God's grace favors little children and saves lost sinners, empowers the believer, and it provides for our needs. 
2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Philippians 4, 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Whatever you need, God's grace has it. Doesn't matter. Whatever it is. Whatever you need, God's grace has it. What do you need? God has it. God has it through the grace that came to us by Jesus Christ. Do you need wisdom in difficult situations? Well, God has met that need through his grace. Is your need companionship because of a lonely life? Well, God has that need met. Do do you need comfort for a broken heart or purpose for an empty life? God has that need. Whatever it is, whether it's spiritual, emotional, physical, tangible, intangible, God has that need met. God's grace is sufficient for whatever need is there. And before you ever have the need, God's grace has what it takes to meet that need. We beg for God to meet a need. We have a need in our lives and we beg for God to to meet that need in our lives. And, And God says, my soul, I am from everlasting to everlasting. I had that need met before you were ever born and certainly before it came to you. God's grace is sufficient for our every need. There are parts of life, money, position or possessions that we think that and, and we know that we cannot fix. But God's grace, God's grace can do something about it. That's amazing, isn't it? I, let, let me get real with you. Um, Jan and I are going into retirement and we're going to we're going to, you know, <laughs> we're going to live on retirement. Let me tell you something. We're going to McDonald's for free coffee. I'll just tell you that. <clears throat> and and we're, my hope and, and my belief is that, that we're going to have opportunities to, to, to go and that I'm going to have opportunities to preach and, and all such as that. My, my friend David Bowler told me, he said, you know, Randy, he said, I, when I retired, I just told God, I just want to preach. And I just, just told God. And I said, God, you just opened those doors. And, and I've never said a word to anybody. And God has just opened those doors. And I said, well, David, I may help him a little. He said, oh, you'll be fine. And I think that I will, but I won't tell you something. We, when we take that step, that week of, of May the 21st, it's going to be like some other steps that we have taken in our lives. When I walk out here, you know it's not on the script, okay? So this is where I usually get in trouble is outside from behind there. But, but I'll tell you, this is, we have taken some steps. God called me to preach. God called me to preach, and that was something that was outside of anything that I'd ever done. And I want to, I want to tell you, Errol, um, it was, a, it was a walk, it was a, it was a step out of here for which I was not sure there was anything there. But I went ahead and put my foot down, and when I put my foot down, God's hand was there. 
Then we were called to pastor that first little church down in Sanford, Florida, the Elder Springs Baptist Church. I'd never pastored a church before. And I put my foot out, and I looked for it, and I put it down, and there it was, the footprint for that, or the the hand of God that I could rest upon. And then, oh, we had only been there for a year or so. And God said, hey, get this, I want you to go to Nashville, Tennessee. And you and your wife, that's where you're from, you're going to start a church there. (laughs) Oh, boy. Mm, All right. And I remember remember driving away in a U-Haul truck, driving away from Sanford, Florida, thinking, I have nothing and nobody and no prospects, and I'm going to see if we can start a church. And we were there for 15 and a half years, and every step of faith, we found God's hand under our foot. And then, and then, it became very clear to me that I no longer needed to be the pastor of that church. It became very clear to me that they needed a new pastor. They needed a new vision. They needed a, a, a new leader at that church. And I received a phone call one day from somebody about a church I'd never heard of in my life. The Temple Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. I'd been to Tallahassee. In fact, I'd never been to Tallahassee. The only thing I knew about Tallahassee was one time while I was a pastor in Sanford, somebody invited me to go to the Florida-Florida State game in Gainesville. And back then, I was neither a Gator nor a Seminole. And I came away saying, my, these people hate each other. (laughs) But I took a, I I was called and, and we took a step. It was a step of faith. And could I tell you something? I believe with all of my heart that when it comes time and I step out, God's going to have his hand under my foot. And then God's going to have another hand under my foot. And the only way that I can do this is to walk by faith. And you know something? That's the only way you can do it too. The only thing you've got is the grace of God. The only way you can live for God is His grace. That's the only possible way. D.L. Moody said, a man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough today to last him for the next six months, nor can he inhale sufficient air into his lungs with one breath to sustain life for a week to come. We are permitted to draw upon God's store of grace from day to day as we need it. That's what's amazing about God's grace. Let me give you one more thing. By opportunity, God's grace is amazing. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The opportunity for salvation is absolutely amazing. God knows our inability. God knows our unbelief. He knows how unworthy we are to have uh, salvation, yet all of the opportunity 
Uh, we have, all of us have the opportunity to be saved. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How did this opportunity come about? How did we gain uh, this grace so amazing? Well, it was accessible by his sacrifice. For you know the grace of our Lord that he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ gave us access to the Father. It's the grace of God. He gave us that, a veteran with an empty sleeve, an obviously missing arm. Had a person who meant well say, I'm so sorry that you lost your arm. And he said, I didn't lose it, I gave it. Sometimes that's what we fail to understand about our Lord. He did not lose his life, he gave it. He gave himself for even you and me. He gave it. Anybody can be saved because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Do you know who the original, you know who the, as far as I can see, the first recorded terrorist in the New Testament is? You know who the first terrorist? We call him the Apostle Paul now. The Bible says he breathed out threatenings and slaughter. He breathed it out. He was ISIS before ISIS was ISIS. Nasty, mean, rotten, crummy to the core, yet by the grace of God, he was saved. And it was accessible to him by the sacrifice of Jesus, accessible by the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have ever eternal life. It's not a matter of obligation. It's a matter of love. God loved us. Here's something that I have never liked for people to say. I've never liked for people to say. Well, I'll I'll give you an example. The other other day, um, well, I'll just take what it is. We were at um, we were at in Orlando with with the family, and we ate dinner one night at a uh, a little restaurant there near the the place where we were staying, and and uh, and I wanted to to get the uh, the check. I wanted to get it for for the table, and Lindsay's parents were there, and. And I wanted to do that. So when it came time for the check, I got up and went and found the guy and I settled up and all that kind of thing. And then here's what was said. And, and well-meaning, and you've said it, a lot of people have said it. Don't ever say it to me again. <clears throat> you didn't have to do that. You ever had somebody say that to you? You didn't have to do that. Well, I know. That's what made it fun. If I had to do it, you would have seen me going through writhing pain. Oh, man, I hate doing this. But that wasn't the reason. It was because I wanted to to do this. Do you know why you're savable? Because God wanted to do that for you. 
Lord, you didn't have to do it. I know. I love you and I wanted to do that. It is accessible by love and finally it's accessible by faith. His grace isn't for sale. It is free. Our text said, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that nobody may boast. Anyone and absolutely anyone who will come to the place of saying, I want to receive Jesus Christ, I want you to know, he is ready to save you from your sins. Now, said all that, say this. You can't forget the amazing grace of God. And if you have not experienced it, I've been in church ever since I was a child. That's not what I'm talking about. I've tried to live a good life. That's not what we're speaking of. I believe I'm a good person. That's not the issue. It's the grace of God. And if by faith you have not said, I receive your salvation, Lord. Thank you for the gift of your sacrifice, the forgiveness of my sin. By your grace, I am saved. Then today is that day. Why not now? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's somebody that made it to this service, who has this thing inside of them that causes them to be unsure of their eternity. They don't know for certain that they have received Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. I pray that they will come to know Jesus and that they will experience the grace of God. If there's only one Lord then save that one today. I pray this in the name of Jesus.